Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Lots to talk about today. Here's why you should tune into today's show. SBF appears in court for the first time, and big money is flowing out of Binance. Should users actually be worried, or is this just more FUD? We'll discuss all of this and more with renowned Bitcoin analyst Dylan LeClaire will join us live shortly. I'm Jeremy Varlow. And I am super excited about this show today because this is the first time I get to host with the incomparable Elaine Lee. Elaine, how are you doing? Who put us on the show together today, <laughs> Jeremy? Definitely an oversight. The wheels could fall off. We're going to try our best to keep them on. Let's just go for it. I'm really excited to have Dylan LeClaire on now. Look, I posted a, a tweet out there asking for Dylan to come on the show and you guys all responded with crazy amount of likes. And we do have Dylan in the house. So I'm very excited to get this conversation going. Surely we will get to Dylan very shortly. We're going to start off here, but if you're watching us on the Real Vision website, we thank you for that. If you haven't signed up there yet, check it out at realvision.com slash crypto. Tons of free crypto content there for you to enjoy. If you're watching on YouTube, as always, hit the like bell or the like button, subscribe, hit that notification bell so you do not miss when we go live. Let's jump straight into some price action. I know Elaine is excited about this. We've got Bitcoin back above $18,000. We saw hey. a surge yesterday around the time <laughs> the latest u.s inflation data was released cpi coming in below expectations and the lowest since the end of last year another big macro driver is coming today the fed is expected to raise interest rates by 50 basis points tune into our sister show the real vision daily briefing later this afternoon for the post decision analysis elaine tell us about ethereum what's going on there Eighteen thousand in Bitcoin. It's exciting, isn't it? Well, over in Ethereum space, yesterday's wider surge um, also benefited Ether. Is trading firmly over thirteen hundred right now, and Ether is up just slightly on the day, but a good, healthy nine percent for the past week. Jeremy, feels good to be green. <laughs> so let's jump into our top story of the day. Obviously, on everyone's mind, former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried appeared in court in the Bahamas for the first time Tuesday. He was arrested and charged by the U.S. federal prosecutors and separately by two regulators, the SEC and the CFTC. Elaine, what happened to the hearing yesterday? Yeah, just look at these images right there. It's so dramatic. Look, the most important development from the first court hearing was that SBF was denied bail, right? His lawyers argued that SBF had lived in the Bahamas for many years and has property there. But the prosecutors argued that the extradition treaty between the Bahamas and the US means the defendant has to be in custody. I love that quote. Custody, my lady, custody, the prosecutor told the judge, which has one meaning, whether it's Webster's or Oxford or otherwise, custody is inconsistent with the act of bail end quote now the judge agreed that he's a flight risk and denied bail of 250,000 we also know that SDF intends to fight extradition to the US actually his next hearing um, is set for February the 8th in the meantime he will remain um, in the Bahamian uh, prison so as a reminder SDF is facing eight criminal charges in the US and they include wire fraud conspiracy to commit money laundering and campaign violation allegations, among others. He's also facing civil charges from the SEC and the CTFC. So there's a lot there. There certainly is. And of course, as always, we will continue to follow that closely and bring it to you on the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. 
Another story that we're following closely, closely is what's happening at Binance. Elaine, lots of chatter on Twitter about the situation here, and I know that Dylan, when we bring him on, has a lot to say about it. FUD or not, what is going on? Yeah, lots of um and ahs here, lots of Twitter timeline action that we're reading. So according to some data that's coming out from the blockchain research group Nansen, as of yesterday, Binance saw net outflows totaling of $3.6 billion in a week. And that's just on the Ethereum blockchain. But Nansen says that's the biggest since the crypto turmoil in June, otherwise known as the beginning of crypto winter. More than a billion was withdrawn on Tuesday alone. Uh, that's also coming from the headlines of the Financial Times I was reading. CEO Changpeng Zhao, better known as CZ um, in the crypto space, confirmed that number on Twitter too. Now he tried to play it down and quote, business as usual. Some days we have net withdrawals, some days we have net deposits. Close quote in that tweet right there. He said the amount was not in the top five biggest withdrawals, but finance experience in its history. He also said that FUD has brought a stress test to our attention. Now, this um, very recent time that CZ also sent a memo to his staff uh, sent by Bloomberg uh, that according to a report, CZ said there are tough months ahead. So bracing his staff for the future for the company that but um, he mentioned that basically, you know, the company will come out stronger in the end. And we also know, thanks to, um, again, the blockchain data uh, cited by Nansen, that Binance hold 60 billion dollars worth of crypto assets that's uh, publicly disclosed addresses and about 35 percent of the assets are BUSD and BNB so we don't know the scale of liabilities so it's difficult to know for sure what the financial health of the company is hey but bitcoin and ETH are up on the day so let's let's focus on that that feels good right <laughs> yeah I'm happy to focus on that too Jeremy Right. So I know that our guest Dylan has a lot to say about both of these stories. Let's bring him in. Dylan LeClaire is a Bitcoin analyst known for his work on the deep dive at the Bitcoin Magazine Pro, amongst others. Welcome to the show, Dylan. Nice to have you. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, excited to come on and discuss uh, a lot of different topics with you guys. Yeah, yeah we're, we're super excited throwing it all out there and all over the place. Um, so, Dylan, I think I just want to start by asking you, you know, we'll discuss finance in a little moment, but what do you make of, of this FTX, you know, mess? What are your thoughts on the charges and the hearings on SBF and just the whole FTX fallout in general? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm no legal expert or, or anything. So I, I don't, aside from an occasional shit post here or there, I don't have too much commentary to add um, after, you know, the indictment and all this. I mean, I could, I can't say I didn't see this coming. Um, Certainly the rise was meteoric um, and left a lot of questions in terms of, you know, how, how do these guys become so successful so fast? Um, and particularly, you know, with the Solana ecosystem stuff and um, these, these very high fully diluted value tokens that were spun up from nothing like, um, well, partially Solana, but Oxy and Maps and, and all of these other, uh, you know, altcoin venture capitalist bets. Um, so like the, the SAM coins, for instance, um, and then we saw post Luna, post UST unwind, you know, these guys are really sticking out their chest. Um, and, and, you know, I, I was just posing questions like if these guys are the big dogs, why, why are they, why do they have an open $380 million credit line with Voyager? Right. So like these things, I didn't know the answers to, like, I, I, I actually have, I don't have a lot of answers on any of this stuff, whether it's FTX or Binance or Celsius, 
uh, or BlockFi or any of these these platforms that I've like I've, I've questioned a lot of platforms. People keep saying it's FUD, it's FUD, it's FUD. Well, I think the reality is like people should should just recognize and understand and entertain the possibility that it's not FUD. It's just probabilistic thinking and asking questions. If if an exchange is fully solvent, no amount of tweets, no amount of of FUD impacts your your core business or your processing, right? If anything, CZ is actually making money on people withdrawing because he charges 15 bucks for withdrawal and it costs 50 cents, right? So, so there's no core, there's no harm to the core business for CZ, just like there wasn't with FTX. But when it comes out like, hey, you know, here's the Alameda leaked balance sheet. Oh, it's all FTT tokens and and you know all of their net equity assets, you know, minus the liability, what's what's left over, all of it's in illiquid altcoins, right? And and if you look at FTT's volume profile. You didn't have really a single FTT token exchange hands from two bucks to twenty bucks. So I ask everybody to go look at BNB, right? Like I'm not fudding Binance. Like people say it's fud. Well, I I ask, you know, I pose this to the question. Every altcoin in the space, for better or worse, people always believe the story. Every altcoin in the space is just beta to Bitcoin. And because of a relative lack of illiquidity, and because of a lot of hidden leverage on centralized derivative platforms, on decentralized derivative platforms. Um, and everything in between, these altcoins outperform Bitcoin when Bitcoin has parabolic runs often, right? And for whatever reason, whether it's perpetual motion machine Ponzi like Luna, or whether it's an L1 ecosystem bet like Ethereum or AVAX or whatever, whatever the story, right? And people um, attribute all sorts of different reasons for that performance. But what is it? It's just beta, right? It's just levered beta. This is a financial markets game. It's the same reason why ARK Invest outperformed S&P, right? It's just, it's just more illiquid names that got flows. So on the downside, what happens, right? Anything within high impl implied volatility to the upside also adds to the downside, except there's an anomaly, right? The anomaly is BNB is, BNB BTC is floating to all time highs and is up 30% year to date against Bitcoin, right? So that's suspicious to me. Like I, I, I pose the question. Um, and if you look at Binance, if you look at the BNB chart, right? It's, it's up 10 X in Bitcoin terms since 2021. Um, so I ask, I, I ask people, what's supporting that valuation and who's been the marginal buyer? Um, and if I just go to first principles, this isn't about CZ, this isn't about Binance as an operation. If I just look at first principles and I say, okay, why was the reason FTT pumped? Why was the reason BNB pumped? Why was the reason Celsius token pumped? Why were the reason that any of these exchange tokens pumped? And there's a repeated history of, well, given the incentives of this game, the clear, the clear, uh, it clearly points to the exchange operator unofficially or officially helping to to, to drive this performance. Um, so I so I raise a question about BNB. I yeah. also raise a question about the derivatives platform. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. No, I, I love that we, well, you have to talk about these things, right? If it's proposing an idea, you watch the space long enough, you put so many hours into to looking over the space. So I actually want to 
I mean, I think you've touched on it definitely a little bit here, but going back to your tweet back in, in I think it was November, I saw this. It, it, you basically said, is anyone else getting weird vibes out there from CZ right now? It's like he's running the whole SBF um, summer playbook, public projection of strength and talks of the industry bailouts while attempting to raise funds. I'm not claiming anything, but the similarities are odd. Essentially, that's what, that's what you said, what we've spoken about in the past five minutes. Yeah, I mean, like, there's just there's just plenty of questions, right? So, like, they come out with an industry bailout package for other f funds, right? Um, and all of these Binance addresses for their for their shop for for uh, the customer funds are published, right? It's transparent, okay? Great. And they talk about industry bailouts, and they say, hey, we're going to pledge a billion dollars to bail out the industry. Okay, great. Like, that's that's good for the ecosystem. Um, similar, to, it's a similar thing to what SBF did, right? Like, we're going to help out the weak actors. Okay, cool. Um, and the the billion dollars of being uh, BUSC that was pledged, oh, it was it was actually uh, in an address that was claimed to be an exchange reserve. So was that a mistake? Was that an honest mistake, or are the pools of capital commingled? I don't know, but it's 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 curious, right? And it was it was a mistake apparently, um, and and something like the proof of reserves, right? CZ says everybody should have a proof of reserves every exchange. Okay, great. That's good. I agree. And personally, I actually trust, regardless of CZ, this isn't a Binance-specific thing. I think proof of reserves do not matter because you don't know, as long as there's no way to prove the liabilities, which CZ comes out and responds to Willy Woo and says, hey, can you audit the liabilities? You only audit the addresses, mm. or the, the assets. And he goes, yeah, liabilities are harder, um, but just ask around. We don't have any. And it's like, well, here's the thing, is that Binance offers a vast derivatives complex where you can pledge Tether as collateral, BUSD as collateral, BNB as collateral, Bitcoin as collateral. Showing me your assets means nothing to me. Um, so probabilistically, I don't have funds on Binance, I never have. Probabilistically, the reason that, you know, five of these exchanges collapsed in 2022, and the reason that I warned about every single one that did and didn't get burned personally, was because mm -hmm. probabilistically, if I see there's a 0.1% chance of something going wrong, I get out. Or never mind getting out. But the fact is, and this is what really blows my mind, is when people have 100% of their funds on an on FTX or on a Binance, it's a derivatives platform. So naturally, even if you're super, super bullish crypto, right, hold 90% of your funds in cold storage and use the leverage inherent in these platforms to hedge, whether it's long, whether it's short, whether it's to directionally trade or to arbitrage, these things offer inherent leverage. So, so it just really puzzles me how people get just absolutely burned on these platforms or even suggest that someone raising questions about the core business model, the fact that people have an emotional reaction to this of, oh, this is FUD, you're just FUDing the industry. What does that mean, right? The whole ethos of this of this Bitcoin thing, of this crypto thing, right? Yeah. Don't trust Verify. And, and the fact that I say I don't trust anybody, I don't trust CZ, I don't trust SBF, I don't trust, uh, you know, Jesse Powell seems like a great guy. I don't trust Jesse. Right. Mm. So I like, and that's, and Jesse would say the same thing. Jesse Powell is a very reasonable CEO. He's raising questions about the Binance proof of reserve. Why is, why do you state collateralization levels instead of just matching one-to-one -one assets to liabilities? But raising this question, raising these red flags is supposedly FUD and is like, makes me a bad actor of sorts, which well, in my sense doesn't make sense. Right. Well, Dylan, I want to get to, you know, a human side of things, if I if I will. I just want to talk about another popular tweet that came up to my attention that I also want you to sort of break it down to me is the little screen grab of um, exchange of messages. 
Um, I don't know who the, the other person that you're talking to, AP Arc Public, um, but it, it was just the, a little screen grab picture that you posted out on Twitter, and it basically said execs bailing, institutional capital fleeing, and ch charges coming. Like, break that conversation out to me while you posted it and what stuck out to you most. Like, how, if I was someone just in bed scrolling through Twitter, like, what are the messages are you trying to send me through posting this out? Well, yeah, again, it's just like, this is a, just probabilistic adversarial thinking, like, which which I think people in the space have, for some reason, have have almost none of, right? Like, this isn't this isn't a personal thing. The reality is, like, I don't know about seven executives. I can't verify that. What I do know is Brian Brooks, Brian Brooks, former comptroller of the currency in the United States, was chief of legal at Coinbase for two and a half years. As Coinbase front-ran investors, listed garbage altcoins that VCs dumped on retail, et cetera, he joined Binance CEO for three months and left and has, you know, probably 55 pages of non-disclosure agreements where we don't hear a peep out of him. Like, how, how, why, did he only, why did he only last three months, right? And I don't know, but all I'm saying is there's, a, there's like, there's a... Evidently, there's something wrong, right? Why does Binance hop from jurisdiction, jurisdiction to jurisdiction to jurisdiction? Like, I'm not a status. I'm not calling for, like, regulation. I'm not calling for, like, the DOJ to clamp down. Honestly, I think it's quite impressive what they've managed to build. It's a massive, massive scale. But all I'm saying is that you have this black box that is the Binance platform, right? Mm. That's that's cross-collateralized, that there's there's all these altcoins going on. There's the B, you know, BNB chain they they minted this this altcoin ICO out of thin air in 2018. It's now worth 2.8, 2. I think 2.5 to 2.5 million Bitcoin is worth being what BNB is worth. And so I'd even ask CZ this if I had the opportunity to talk to him. I'd say, do you think uh, you know if you believe in Bitcoin as as global money in the future, do you think your your uh, essentially centralized fork version of Ethereum is worth 14% of global money? Um, and like, I, I don't think so. Right. So like right. all of the, all of these things, that wasn't really directly answering your question, but like what, one Reuters dropped two days ago that the DOJ is looking at finance. We're seeing SBF and all of the things that they're doing, whether it's, you know, securities fraud, all of these things, right? Like, again, I'm not calling for anything. I'm just saying like, if you don't think that there's regulatory clampdown coming, then you're yeah. then you're being, I think, a little naive in that sense. Right, just a, an opportunity to have an open conversation. Of course, CZ, if you are watching this, we're more than happy to host that conversation for you in the very near future, right? Look, let's talk about one of our next tweets. Look, I think being in crypto, you have to be a little bit pessimistic. FTX was one of the biggest players around. And just look how, how that toppling uh, came over of a company within hours, I would say. You know, it was just first sniffing it out. And then really FTX is no longer here. Can you imagine saying that like two months ago? Um, so I think approaching the crypto space with um, a daily dose of pessimism is important. I think it's good to be uh, critical of the crypto space and put you know things into question. This is your money. This is your investment and you want it to be safe. Um, so I think for someone um, like me, I just want to be a little bit more in tune and just have, you know, continue the open conversations of having uh, these sort of conversations to carry on. So um, another tweet that I picked up on Dylan, and yes, I have been stalking your Twitter timeline, basically, is uh, another tweet that I picked up is, um, it, you know, for someone who, who, for me, is not too into charts, and I don't care how much you're screaming and ranting at me at the screens, right? I don't study charts day in, day out. 
because no one told me enough charts to put it in my face that crypto winter was going to start right so for for someone like me not so much too deep into to charts i'm seeing on one of your tweets right here um like dylan if you can explain to me what are you trying to flag here in your tweet thread with the with the chart that we're seeing right now yeah so i mean this is like not even a crypto specific thing this is a, just a financial markets thing uh mm -hmm. you know gravity is not is just is just a reality of of physics right so like when i think <laughs> of financial markets right gravity applies so whether this this if i was looking at tesla's chart right or what well, goes up must come down and 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 so when something goes from 40 bucks to 200 bucks in the span of two weeks right and coincidentally if you just look at ftt versus binance FTC started going parabolic and then a few weeks later, BNB does the same thing, right? Like there's obviously an incentive for something to happen. If you say, if you say to me, um, and I know this was during the bull run where everything went parabolic, but if you look at like that performance of all these altcoins, there was a clear driver of these flows, whether it was Alameda pumping, you know, Solana ecosystem, whether it was three arrows capital chucking money at everything and everything, whether it was, you know, uh, the same billion dollars of leverage being piled on. For whatever reason, BNB went from forty dollars to two hundred dollars in the span of about a, a month, right? Since and you know, and then it went to six hundred or whatever it did, right? Um, and we can see whether it's the spot volume, whether it's deri the derivatives volume, you can see there's just a gap from like forty bucks to two hundred something dollars. Okay, great. Um, and so, as the the owner of of uh, BNB or the majority owner or at least a forty percent owner, Binance got forty percent of the ICO. This token that was that they printed from nothing great and that's an ecosystem now and it's you know they have the binance smart chain and all this stuff i understand i completely understand what it is um but i just question when cz says the one the one thing about you know the one lesson from ftx never never borrow against your exchange token binance has no debt and we've never leveraged against our exchange token and in the same voice cz will say we've never sold our bnb token we hodl so i so i say um, as someone that just thinks about human psychology and economic incentives and the, and the history of financial markets and human greed and, and, and fear. Yeah. Well, if you printed something out of nothing and four years later it was worth $50 billion, BNB market cap was like $110 billion at the top. You're telling me you wouldn't maybe think about dipping your toe in the cookie jar if you could do it via your own business, right? And so when CZ says that, in the same vein of, of an SBF, and I'm not saying CZ is a fraud. I'm not saying this. I'm not saying Binance is insolvent. I'm just saying people should evaluate and people should think about the probability that there is a non-zero correlation between the price action of BNB and the value of the BNB token and the solvency of Binance. Because if you say that the relationship between those two things is definitively zero, I disagree with you. That's all I'm saying. And so um, it's not, I, I say it's a non-zero relationship between the solvency of the Binance platform and the, and the token value of BNB. And, and other people will say, no, no way, and get emotional and say I'm fudding. That's great. Um, but I think the adversarial thinking that I've displayed, not just me like personally, but just anybody that's that's thought like people also were yelling and screaming at me and, and kicking that I said that FDT being at $22 and having no, no volume below that while the Alameda balance sheet was levered was not a good sign. And she tweets, Hey, we'll buy it all at 22 bucks. And I say, guys, they just marked their line in the sand. And everyone says, no, they, that's FUD. They have all the cash in the world to buy it. And so I, I'm just saying, I don't think the relationship between BNB being up all time high in BTC terms. And guess what? What are the only two performers, the major cap cryptos 
that have outperformed Bitcoin during this bear market. Because remember, it's all beta. This is just the reality of the crypto market. And if you say otherwise, you, you, I respectfully, you don't know what you're talking about. The only, the only three outperformers of Bitcoin in the bear market during 2022, Dogecoin, XRP, and BNB, right? One is a total meme, uh, Dogecoin, right? That's, I think it's like 70% from its all-time highs or 50% from its all-time highs in Bitcoin terms. The other is a quasi-security that's been dead for four or five years. XRP, it's down 90% in Bitcoin terms from its all-time high. The other is BNB, right? Somehow insulated from the crypto implosion and somehow just, you know, five or 10% from its all-time highs in Bitcoin terms. So as someone that just studies financial markets, regardless of CZ, regardless of anything, that gives me questions, right? How is it so isolated? And, and he says, we don't lever against it. Great. But your users do. You, you, mm -hmm. And you subsidize the financing costs. If you go on Binance and you look at Binance loans, you collateralize your BNB and you can, and you can access dollars, you can access Bitcoin, you can access all these things. So it is a levered quasi-monetary asset security. So there should be volatility on the downside. So something that trades with 2x the volatility of Bitcoin during a bull run is suddenly absent volatility to the downside. Right? Like that's those, those right. questions. Hey, everyone. We're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So, yeah, so Dylan, I, I want to, I know you're, you know, you've got a nose for sniffing up this kind of stuff. So like, are you hearing similar issues with other exchanges? How deep do you think this will sort of go? But also, what do you think like a post washout world would look like? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that um, in, in crypto, right, like there's, there's people uh, kind of say there's, you know, I, I personally, I like, I'm a Bitcoin maximalist in a way, right? I understand the crypto ecosystem. I study it a bunch. Um, ultimately, I think that a lot of it is just speculation that there is there is a monetary premium or a terminal value or a, a value in a lot of these other tokens, right? That's really it's it's just a, it's a second syndrome uh, thinking, right? It's a, it's a second system syndrome, right? Where someone says, well, the first one wasn't good enough, right? And and I, I always tell people like Bitcoin. People say Bitcoin's the first one. How do you know it's it's real? How do you know it's not going to be overtaken? This is better. That's better. And I say, no, like Bitcoin is not the first digital cash. It was the first digital cash that we figured out, right? Like we engineered this thing and now we have something that connects the digital world and the physical world through proof of work mining, right? We have the first asset in human history that is not the liability of anyone else and is only a pure asset, right? So Bitcoin has no liability to anybody. You can say Ethereum or BNB is the same. And I say, no, it's not. Right, BNB has its has its validators arbitrarily halt the chain when something goes wrong. Is that your property or is that the property of CZ, right? Um, and it's the same with a lot of these other tokens. So, so I think is the washout done? I don't know, right? A lot of this mm -hmm. is 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 a result of the macro flows um, and the macro the macro liquidity tide broadly, right? So could we go lower? Absolutely. This whole thing could definitely go fifty percent lower at any time. And I, I yeah. Uh, you know, I ask people to think that, right? You should always be prepared right. to go lower. That shouldn't invalidate your Bitcoin thesis. Um, yeah. But I think BNB, like really go down the list, any of these altcoins, right? I think they go down against Bitcoin um, on the long term by a lot. 
Um, and I think people aren't prepared for that. Okay. Um, hey, Dylan, you mentioned a bit about mining. I'm sorry. We picked up a story. It's not the, the most positive one about Bitcoin mining, but I'm just going to bring in Jeremy back in. Jeremy, do you want to just sort of give us the highlights of this sort of Bitcoin mining story that we picked up over the, from Dispatch of the Earth in London? Yeah, certainly. And this has been a fascinating conversation. I'm on the edge of my seat listening to Dylan here, but we uh, we wanted to pick up this story. We're hearing that one of the biggest Bitcoin miners is fighting hard to avoid Chapter 11 bankruptcy. We're talking about the London-based Argo blockchain. Shares in the company plunged nearly 50% as it warned of the risk. Uh, I'd love to get your uh, insight on this, Dylan. Elaine, what's the context here? Uh, so I read a little bit about this. So according to the filing, um, it's filing on the London Stock Exchange. The company could run out of cash within a month. There are a couple of things that the company is doing to avoid it, though. Argo says it is in advanced talks to sell certain assets to a third party. We don't know what exactly that they're trying to offload, but Argo also wants to engage in an equipment financing transaction. Um, it's essentially a loan secured against its mining machines and other valuable hardware. Um, you know, these machines are expensive. They're pricey and they're worth something. Argo shares were suspended from trading on Friday. That's after a test page was accidentally published on its website. It's implied that the company is about to file for bankruptcy. We're not quite there yet, but it's not looking rosy. Um, I don't know, Dylan, do you have anything to say to this one? Uh, yeah, I mean, Argo or really any of these miners, the reality is uh, Bitcoin mining, uh, Bitcoin mining ASICs, Bitcoin mining equity. Um, if you think about how the Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining works, right? Uh, hash rate, the, the economic incentive to monetize waste energy resources um, is massive, right? So if you can get like there is there is zero cost energy all over the planet that we haven't yet harnessed or utilized. So what is Bitcoin mining? Bitcoin mining is the first thing that we have we have that is a demand response solution to monetize waste energy resources. So what is Bitcoin mining? Well, Bitcoin mining is just a way to to monetize that. And so with that, we have we have this this protocol that's that's in an in a um i'm sorry what's what's the word you have this this asymptotic supply issue and schedule right where we're at first 50 bitcoin were released every 10 minutes or every block then it went to 25 then 12 and a half now it's at 6.25 bitcoin every single block about 900 a day in 2024 that's going to cut to 3.125 bitcoin uh, every block or or 450 bitcoin a day so what's happening the supply issuance of bitcoin is trending towards zero eventually Bitcoin mining will just be a fee-based model. So what does that mean for miners and mining-related equities? Well, really, Bitcoin miners only appreciate in Bitcoin terms, which is, I think, how you should look at it. Bitcoin miners appreciate in Bitcoin terms when the price is outpacing the growth in hash rate. So what's happening now? Price is going down, hash rate's going up. What's happening to the value of these miners? They're getting decimated, especially any miners that have any net leverage on their balance sheet. So whether that's net leverage to buy Bitcoin, to buy infrastructure, to buy ASICs, a lot of these miners uh, got loans against uh, against ASIC values, right, as as their collateral, and they secured those loans against their core business, right. So so R goes down ninety nine percent from its all time high. Why? Well, because they went public in September of twenty twenty one, which was like the golden age of mining after the China miner ban and after Bitcoin went to new all time highs. Well, hash rate was thirty percent from the highs, right, and and all of these cheap ASICs flooded flooded the market. So now what's happening? Well. Hash rates at you know 50% higher than it was uh, at the all-time high, and prices down 75%. So their margins are getting absolutely decimated. Ultimately, like a bunch of miners are going to go bankrupt, a bunch of miners are going to go bust. There's going to be miners that don't. 
with the hash rate, it's going to drop a bunch difficulty, the difficulty adjustment's going to ratchet down. And the ones that are still alive, the ones that are still well capitalized are going to buy up all the ASICs and going to continue hashing. So it's nothing but a thing. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly, I don't hold any mining related exposure at the moment, um, mm -hmm. but mining isn't dead and it's just a natural capitalistic cleanse of this ecosystem. It's, it's extremely healthy. Yeah. Oh, Dylan, I, I want to ask you sort of, you know, this whole debacle around centralized exchanges. Is this good or bad for Bitcoin in the long run? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily think it's good or bad. I think it just is, right? Like, I, I don't necessarily think that uh, the cross-collateralization of Bitcoin against uh, what some people <laughs> jokingly call, like, the shitcoin industrial complex. Like, I don't know if that's a, a good thing or a bad thing. Like, a lot of these tokens, like, let's be real, are fundamentally worthless, right? Um, casinos are fine. Um, I like going to the casinos every once in a while. Um, but, but, like, a lot of these tokens aren't going to exist in five or ten years like let's be real some of them will um but i think more so the exciting story is that bitcoin um it, as it's growing and as it's monetizing across global balance sheets like what's happening with the monetization of bitcoin it's in a logarithmic scale bitcoin is just monetizing by an order of magnitude every four to five years right and so it's, yeah. it's down 80 percent. it's done that plenty of times is the failure of ftx a good thing or a bad thing well i would say it's a great thing because imagine if ftx didn't go under and all of a sudden three years from now they're a, they're a commodity trading house and they have, they have equities and they're instead of 5 billion in, in, in deposits and fraud, there's a hundred billion, right? So like, so like if, if there's a fraud in the market, right, if there's a fraud, whether it's leverage, whether it's, whether it's, you know, hacks, whatever it is, if there's like a fraud, like this is why withdrawing your Bitcoin isn't a, is, is a great thing, right? Because the best thing that could ever happen to Binance is if all of their Bitcoin and all of their stable coins and everything got drained they were perfectly operational and they didn't halt withdrawals once. Like that would be a gold star in terms of legitimacy, rep reputability, et cetera, right? Imagine if this happened to FTX and, and their operations were perfectly fine, right? How much trust would that give to, to SBF to, to their, their, their operation? And they went bust. So like, I don't think it's necessarily good or bad. I think it just is a thing, right? Like Mt. Gox was the only exchange in the world in 2013 or 14 and it collapsed, right? Was that the end of Bitcoin? No. Right, if finance mm -hmm. collapse, would that be the end of Bitcoin? No, of course not. Like, would it hurt the crypto complex? Yeah. Right. Like, right. But is, is yeah. that stopping this? No. You know what, Dylan? I've got to ask you. Right. Yesterday, I was, you know, in a in a cafe in a cafe, had my Italian barista, and he was really intrigued about my screens. You know, with the charts, with some tokens or whatever digital assets I was looking at. He goes, "Ah, oh, cryptocurrency. I really want to buy that. What's the best place to get Bitcoin?" And then I looked at him and I, I didn't know what to utter out of my mouth because I just don't know how to safely onboard people onto crypto nowadays. What do you think I should have said to him? I mean, it depends on the, on the jurisdiction, right? It depends on, on I mean, I personally um, just, just tell people like Bitcoin is, is something that you should have as a savings plan with, with a low percentage of your net worth. Like, like the average person shouldn't be punting like, hundred percent or fifty percent or twenty percent of their net worth into Bitcoin, especially if they're struggling to make ends meet, right? In the West, it's served as kind of a speculative vehicle, a speculative asset. Um, for some people that don't have property rights or don't have, uh, you know, access to global to, to Western financial services, it's a completely different game. And so, yeah, like I mean, Bitcoin's part of that story. Stable coins are part of that story, right? Like, there's people that use Tether on Tron in in Africa that don't have that don't have bank accounts. Is that a long-term solution? I don't think so. And I think ultimately that what we covered earlier with the fact that Bitcoin is the only thing that isn't a liability of anybody else is like the biggest innovation here. That's that's a massive story that people don't really understand yet. 
Um, so what should you have replied? Well, you know, it depends. Like I probably would have referred them to a, a Bitcoin, uh, a Bitcoin only exchange probably, because I find that most people, uh, when you tell them, Hey, like this, this Bitcoin thing is going to be really important and it's going to potentially change the world in five or 10 or 20 years. Right. Well, they go on, they see that XRP is really cheap and they buy it right without understanding what it is without understanding the properties of xrp without understanding it's a quasi security that was sold by a company um and that's maybe you know that's maybe being a little too broad stroke but i, I don't really think so um no, so no, there's, a, there's a lot of there's a lot of noise in this ecosystem there's a lot of there's a lot of scams there's a lot of distractions um, mm -hmm. i'm not calling i'm not calling everything a scam i'm not calling everybody a fraud i'm not doing that um, but people misunderstand the story here. We have a global monetary asset that's monetizing in real time, and it's doing it in a very volatile way with a lot of leverage and a lot of noise. Um, but what, what's going to be here in 10 years? There's probably only one thing that I'm comfortable with. There is only mm -hmm. one thing I'm comfortable with, going in a coma for 10 or 15 years and waking up. And that's Bitcoin. And the rest of it is, is, is not the same. Right. Dylan, I, I don't want that to happen for you because I enjoy talking to you so much. So I'm going to go for the uh, last question from me is, you know, someone like for me, I cover obviously a lot more NFTs, a lot more Ethereum. You've got a very close eye and got your paws into, you know, Bitcoin that you live and breathe this stuff. What needs to happen for crypto for it to come alive again? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I... Like, I, I don't think crypto necessarily is going to, to die, but like what, what is, um, whether it's, it's NFTs or DeFi or anything else, like I, I always like kind of somewhat jokingly, somewhat seriously, like, um, you know, banter about Ethereum, right? Like what is, what is Ethereum? Well, I think it's, it's a, it's a really cool thing. It's essentially TradFi on quasi decentralized rails, but, but like is, is the ability to, to take a centralized, you know, wrapper stable coin, like essentially like, like, let's be real. USDC is essentially a U.S. central bank digital currency. It's they, they hold treasury bills. They issue a token based on the treasury's uh, arbitrarily arbitrary mandates. They can freeze, seize, do anything they want, blacklist your addresses. Um, but is it cool that I can go borrow USDC against my wrapped Bitcoin against my Ethereum? Sure. Right. Is, is that the future of finance? And personally, I think the future of finance is a global digital bearer asset that's money built for enemies. I think there's only one shot in the digital age for an, a global neutral reserve asset. I think that's Bitcoin. Whether what like I think NFTs, uh, DeFi, decentralized exchanges, swaps, Uniswap, you know, MakerDAO, all of these things. It it's fascinating. It's it's cool computer science experiments. Um, I just don't think in terms of long term long term staying power or you know, neutrality as a, as a protocol in the sense of mm -hmm. not being able to be influenced at the whims of political discussions or, or, or uh, influence, right? 50%, 60, 70% of Ethereum validators are OFAC compliant. Why? Because they, they cut the head off the miners and gave block production and gave it to centralized exchanges, right? Because it's now no longer at the block production level. It's not miners. It's not proof of work. What is it? It's stakers and who holds all the stake? centralized exchanges so like i don't i don't necessarily think ethereum's right. a, a bad thing i just think what they're competing for is is two entirely different things and, and those things get convoluted just because you know the nature of of, of crypto okay well uh dylan thank you for answering all my questions now you know on this show it's creation around the community so we do have some viewer questions which i'm going to pull jeremy back in because i know you have a few taken uh from whatever platforms that we're looking over right now we certainly do. The audience is very engaged uh, having Dylan on the show today. And I'm just sitting here 
like I said, on the edge of my seat and Dylan says, don't go 100% into the digital asset space. And I'm just like, <laughs> Too that's, soon. that's that's not me. Uh, but anyways, let's get to our viewer questions. The Crypto Gardener asking Dylan on YouTube uh, if there are any other exchanges that Dylan is skeptical of, any others that you kind of, you know, have under your microscope, um, you know, if you could provide some insight on that. Yeah, I mean, really, like anything with a yield product, um, I don't feel feel safe with. Um, I, I just like, I mean, honestly, at this point, I, I just think that the the scope of the the collapse in Luna, Three Arrows Capital, Genesis, the biggest market makers in the space, the biggest lenders in the space, um, all of the biggest counterparties, and the fact that especially, right, every single carry trade, like if you think of Bitcoin denominated yield, stablecoin denominated yield, where did all this come from? It came from a few things. It came from the grayscale Bitcoin arbitrage. It came from the futures basis. And then after both those things collapsed, it came from the UST Luna Ponzi. All of those things are gone, right? So, so where is the yield coming from? If you have, if there's any yield bearing products, where if, if they're offering 5% on stable coins, where is the yield coming from? Because short-term treasuries give you 4% or 3%, right? If they're offering you yield on Bitcoin, where does the yield come from? Because Bitcoin doesn't give you any yield. So I think one, if it has, a, if it has any sort of yield service run, right? Like there's the risk reward there. People don't really do the math all that much. The risk reward there, you're not like, it's not yield essentially. You're just, you're just selling, you're shorting this tail risk uh, event, right? So, so it's like, you know, that chart of like uh, a thousand, a day in the life, a thousand days of a, of a turkey and the life expectancy. And then all of a sudden, right at the end, Thanksgiving comes around and drops to zero, right? And it's like, oh, it's a black swan event. We could have never seen this coming guys. Um, so in terms of exchanges, like I'm not saying Binance is, is in trouble. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you just should probabilistically assess the scenario that it's not 100% certainty they are solvent. Because, because what has this last year taught us, if anything, right? Like there is no lender of last resort in this industry. Um, and so, so when bad things happen, uh, you know, ultimately <laughs> you get, get rugged, right? So like that's what I just want to stress to everybody. Okay, um, I got one for you, uh, Dylan, and this comes from a gentleman called Paul Cloak, coming in to us from the tube. Um, he's asking, uh, Dylan, could you talk a little bit about GBTC possibly uh, representing another paper claim on Bitcoin? Yeah, uh, I mean, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust holds 630,000 Bitcoin. Um, they issue, it's a closed-end fund, so uh, it's not redeemable two ways. Uh, everybody and their mother went in this trade super levered long to capture this arbitrage spread in the sense of you redeem uh, dollars or Bitcoin uh, for uh, GBTC at, at Digital Currency Group. There's a six-month lockup, and, and this thing was trading at a, a, a premium for its entire life uh, up until February of 2021. So BlockFi, Three Arrows Capital, I've even heard that FTX and Alameda was in this trade. Um, they all went very, very levered long in this trade but the counterparties being digital currency group. And then they'd go pledge the shares to Genesis to lever against it, which is a subsidiary of DCG. So why is the premium or discount now at 50, uh, you know, minus 50% to net asset value? Well, you had all this leverage in this space in a, in a, you know, a liquid derivative of Bitcoin with a 2% uh, annual fee forever. Right. And so as BlockFi, as Three Arrows Capital, as DCG themselves who levered against it, uh has to unwind this like there's not nearly as many natural buyers for bitcoin that's securitized on you know otc rails as there is for you know immutable uh bitcoin that can you know that can be self-custodied um so yeah. i think it's an interesting arbitrage or a, an interesting 
uh, kind of trade, uh, you know, to see if, hey, maybe this nav narrows a bit. Uh, but, you know, am I comfortable with, with holding GBTC with like a, a significant portion of my net worth rather than Bitcoin itself, even if it is, you know, the cost equivalent of like 9K Bitcoin? Uh, I mean, no, like I, I, I maybe as a, as a small bet, right? But like for retirement portfolios, maybe uh, as Bitcoin-like exposure. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I don't have confidence in the long term that this will ever be uh, converted into an ETF. So that 2% mm -hmm. fee, right, that compounds for a while. <laughs> All right, just to put um, Dylan's answer in context, just in case you're not familiar with uh, GBTC. GBTC is a Bitcoin trust run by Grayscale, whose sister company Genesis has run into some financial troubles. Uh, the next asset value on GBTC shares has hit a record of nearly 50%. All right, um, next over, bringing back Jeremy. There are more coming in, actually. What else you got for us, Jeremy? So we have got Chris Weir on YouTube asking Dylan, uh, was the second top in November tw of 21 led by FTX pumping Solana bags as theorized by Corey K at Swan or is there more to it, do you think? Yeah, I think that was uh, certainly played part of it, right? Um, I mean, <laughs> if you look at the bot, if you look at the bottom of 20, uh, like the, the, the summer bottom um, post kind of China ban and all of that, 30K was was very heavily shorted um, and it was shorted uh, specifically on actually Binance uh, and FTX with stable coins. So if you remember, Bitcoin went from like 30K to 40K and almost like overnight, right? It went from like 32 and gapped really, really hard. And that was a mechanical move. M the mechanical move being there was a whole bunch of shorts I had to cover into an liquid market to the upside. Um, from 40K to 60K, uh, it was somewhat FTX led, uh, the altcoins inflating this kind of crypto bubble. You had the NFT craze. This whole thing, remember, like it's cross-collateralized. So uh, Ethereum and Solana pumping, um, even though the, you know there's no, there's really no like natural buyers to support these market caps over the long term. What happened is that it kind of you know rising tide lifted all boats, and Bitcoin was certainly played a part in that. Also, the the futures ETF, right? If you remember that that speculation about that being passed in September and October led to CME based speculation, futures based speculation, and that premium of like. Bitcoin trading at 40K and futures trading at 45,000 or 44,000. Like that, that leverage um, actually incentivized a whole lot of, of uh, you know, speculators and arbitragers to, to finance that. And so that kind of was like a virtuous loop. Um, and, and all of that obviously, you know, came crashing back down. So I think they definitely played a part of it. I don't know about entirely responsible, um, but that minor leverage uh, and also, you know, like the grayscale uh, GPTC leverage where, you know, they were trying to support this market cap with the same, like, if you think of, of three arrows capital, right? Like blowing up that it was essentially those guys, FTX, a grayscale, it was like the same billion dollars that was levered and recycled over in various ways. Um, also the Luna Ponzi, right? Like Luna was UST combined was worth 50, 40, like $60 billion. And that was, what was it? It was a perpetual motion machine that collapsed to zero, right? So like all of these things kind of like lifted, lifted the tide. Um, and we're washing it all out, of course, right? So we'll, we'll see what's actually real. Thank you for that answer, Dylan. That's great. Uh, we have a question from Ralph on the RV website. First off, shout out to Ralph. He is always asking questions, super engaged. Thank you very much, Ralph. But uh, he's picking up on your comment, Dylan, that you made previously. Uh, he's asking, wouldn't gold be the first asset that is not the uh, liability of someone else? Yeah, it is. But if you like, it, I, this is what I pose to gold bucks, right? When someone says like, hey, we're going to return, return to a gold standard or, or you know, the, the solution to all this fiat madness is a return to gold. I say, 
we were on a gold we were on a gold standard a global gold standard and it wasn't a result of government mandate and now where are we we're in a world where seven eight billion people use fiat free float fiat currencies so why why is that a thing why is that why is that the reality we live in today how did gold as global money lose its status and it lost its status because gold cannot be uh cannot function in a modern economy without trust inherent in the system right so if you think about it gold can transfer transfer value across time extremely well and it extremely it, you know it's been i say a fine man's suit for you know thousands of years but what can it not do it can't transfer that value across space right so what do you need you need trusted intermediaries you need ledgers and guess who's the, and there's trust built into that ledger that's the whole reason fractional reserve banks were a thing was because i don't want to hold my gold right so i'm gonna give you the gold and you're going to issue me a certificate of deposit you're going issue, to issue me a note and what's the, what's human incentives? Like if you think about why FTX collapsed, why did these guys collapse? Well, they were rehypothecating Bitcoin, they were rehypothecating assets. You trusted them and they broke that trust. The history of financial markets is riddled with that trust. Right. So if we're gonna return to a gold back standard, I say, okay, great. So you're gonna trust JP Morgan, or you're gonna trust the Treasury, or you're gonna trust this gold back currency that's maybe on a blockchain. Well, like how how do you know they're not rehypothecating that gold, right? And so it's kind of ironic that we have this decentralized digital asset that's verifiably uh, able to be proven with a signature in a trivial manner um, that, that you own it and that no one else owns it via mathematics and cryptography. And it's funny that we've had all these le leverage crypto blowups, uh, especially with unsecured leverage and all of this. And, you know, Three Arrows Capital submitting a PDF with their assets when they could have just signed, signed uh, via their, their addresses on a blockchain instead. Right, so so we're going to return to a gold back standard, right? And we're going to return to a world where we trust everybody to have the gold, right? It's just age-old economics says that's just a fallacy. There's a reason gold failed, and it's because it's a base metal that requires trust. And so we have an engineering solution to that. Um, and I think a lot of people haven't figured that out yet, right? Very interesting. You're, yeah, you, you made some very good points there. I've got another follow-up from Ralph. He's on fire today. He wants <laughs> to know, and I'm going to piggyback this one because I'm curious as well. What else are you bullish on aside from Bitcoin, if anything? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not even necessarily like bullish on the price action of Bitcoin like in the near term or, or like the, the medium term. I think right now, like you can explain a lot of the Bitcoin underperformance because of uh, the crypto ecosystem, but also it's the macro environment. And it's the reality that in a, in a world where the Fed is tightening monetary policy, the USD in a politically programmatic way, in the same way that people say like Bitcoin is programmed to go up forever. And I've said, you know, similar type things. Like it's a monetary asset with a group of price agnostic buyers. Supply and demand says it's going to go up over the long term. Well, in the short term, you have the dollar strengthening. Why? Because they're politically like tightening up that belt and, 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 you know, the number go up technology of USD is taking that. So over the long term, what am I bullish on? Well, I'm, I'm bullish on human innovation. I mean, I'm bullish on uh, the fact that, you know, equity markets uh, and, and, you know, probably most assets in, in fiat denominated terms will go up and to the right as a result of the debasement of the currency. Um, I mean, I am bullish on gold to maintain purchasing power. I'm, I'm bullish gold, the industrial metal. Um, I'm not bullish gold as a monetary asset, just being, just being uh, transparent. Um, so like, yeah, I mean, I, I have a, a long short equity portfolio as well. I, I manage capital, like I'll, I'll trade volatility and, and similar stuff. But uh, in terms of my long-term uh, thesis or investment allocation, I, I find myself hard pressed to find anything that I, I suspect to outperform Bitcoin over the next decade and even longer. Like my time horizon isn't three months, six months, two years. My time horizon as a 21 year old is, is 
40 years, right? Like 21. Yeah, I was just about to say, wait, 21 years old? Yeah. You know, listening to this conversation, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to buy in the green again on Bitcoin. I'm ready to go. (laughs) Right? This, Yeah, this has made me significantly more bullish Bitcoin. Uh, The last question of the day is coming from Schwab on YouTube. Uh, Schwab wants to know your thoughts on CBDCs. And for those watching uh, that might not be aware, those are central bank digital currencies. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's just fiat abstracted as uh, some potential tech, you know, technological revolution when it's not nothing of the like right like we already have cbdc's in a way it's just it's venmo it's paypal it's cash app whether it's usdc whether it's on a blockchain whether they you know program it to have some ubi in china you're already seeing like uh, money with expiration dates like if that's the future you want or you see of the world like great you know be bullish on cbdc's i think it's potentially you know a backdoor to have you know the, mo- the mo- it's like the most uh, it's the biggest overreach of, of human rights, uh, freedom, and, and the surveillance state and financial privacy we've, we've ever seen. And we're already living in that world. Like, let's be real. Uh, if the government wants to see something about your financial transactions with MasterCard, they will see it. Um, but if you think, you know, if you think, oh, this fiat system is is unsustainable, let's introduce CBDCs, right? Like, what what is the technological innovation there? And I say there is none. Right, that it will still be it will still be a non-capped programmatic monetary policy, and even say this, like even in a thought scenario where the government of the U.S. or the government of the world or whoever nation state says, no, don't worry, guys, our CBDC is ultrasound or our CBDC is scarce, right? Like, do you trust them to implement that scarcity? Because you are trusting them. Um, so, what do I think about CBDCs? I think it's you know it's not a world that I want to live in, and it's certainly coming indirectly, explicitly, or implicitly. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge champion of Bitcoin. Why? Because I think we're moving into a world where we're slowly entering a digital panopticon. Um, and this thing, Bitcoin is an engineering solution that potentially maybe is our only hope at a world where we're not subject to this tyrannical future. Amen to that, my friend. You said that very well. Um, <laughs> we are going to wrap up the show today with our key takeaways. Dylan, stick around. We're coming to you for yours in just a moment. Uh, but from my side, you know, obviously we talked a lot about Binance today. We've obviously seen the largest outflows from Binance since June 2022 with $3.6 billion moving off the exchange in the last few days. And I mean, this is my hope uh, that people in the space that, you know, are speculating on this space are now understanding the importance of self-custody of those assets and storing those assets safely off exchange. Uh, Dylan made a very good point uh, when he said that the meteoric rise of these platforms is bound to make you pose questions and you should pose those questions and do your own research. Uh, This is healthy for the space in the long run. And if if an exchange is solvent, no amount of tweets should affect that at all. Uh, To add to that, Dylan said that proof of reserves don't mean much uh, if we don't also have proof of liabilities and finishing that thought the whole ethos of crypto is don't trust verify and that really ties in well to the conversation we had with sergey nazarov of chainlink last week when he said uh that the kind of ethos over at chainlink is proof uh, cryptographic proof over paper trust so those are my key takeaways dylan i want to go to you very quickly for yours continue to reiterate that um i mean whether it's my personal thesis or like the bitcoin thesis i i just say nothing has changed right it's like oh the crypto winter like will everything recover and like i say what what has actually changed here 
yeah, there was some fraud, there was some leverage. Uh, and what was the result of all of this? Like, what was the result of the implosion? Well, you know, the mark-to-market exchange rate uh, released to the downside. Okay, like, <laughs> what is what has changed about the engineering of, of the Bitcoin protocol? What has changed about the long-term reality uh, that that fiat as a monetary instrument is politically programmed to debase forever? It's a function of the monetary system, a debt-based monetary system that is is required that like requires perpetual credit expansion to exist and persist. Just a, it's just a fact, right? So like, has is the long-term game changed at all? No. Uh, if you came in here expecting that the volatility was only uh, going to be to the upside and not the downside, I have news for you. You were you were wrong. Um, but there's going to be plenty of volatility going forward. The the, the thesis in my end is unchanged. Um, I, I think crypto is going to continue, whether it's Binance, whether it's XYZ derivative exchange, whether it's Fidelity, like there's going to be new actors. There's going to be old actors that leave. There's going to be people that go bust, but um, you should, you should really like, I think at an individual level digest and, and um, you know, internalize what your belief is here um, and whether the last month of that has really changed your, your thesis on it, because if it has, then I think maybe you were not in it for the wrong reasons, because that sounds harsh, but uh, maybe you 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 know your uh, your thoughts or thesis wasn't actually aligned with what's going on here because nothing has changed in in my view. Um, maybe maybe like the the timeline has shifted a bit, um, but like yeah, you know. Look, Dylan, everything that you mentioned, I think at the end of this conversation, we're still here for it. <laughs> Look. I just want to, I know we had some really serious conversation, but before, this is the very last thing I want to pull up, right? Let's pull up this tweet right here. I'm not going anywhere in a show without bringing up some crypto Twitter shit talk. Look at this right now. Do you feel, from Jim Cramer, do you feel as reassured by Binance as I do? CZ Binance retweets and he replies, okay, Jim, don't use Binance for the sake of everyone else. Half joking. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I mean, enough said there. You can you can read into that as you will, but uh, quite a quite a clap back by CZ. That's that's quite funny. That's my first time seeing that, and that's uh, you know um, quite interesting to say it the least. It is what it is, Jeremy. It is what right. it is. It certainly is. Um, that is it for today. I want to thank Dylan Leclaire for coming on the show. We look forward to having you back. Thank you very much for joining us, sir. Thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, we'll do it again sometime. Thank you very much, Elaine. Also, pleasure doing the show with you for the first time. I hope we get to do this again as well. Of course. Awesome. Well, that's it for today for the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Don't forget to subscribe. RV Crypto is 100% free. For those of you watching on YouTube, as I mentioned at the top of the show, if you are not a subscriber yet, Please subscribe, hit like that notification bell as well. Uh, join us again tomorrow. We have Benjamin Cohen, who will be live with the latest technical analysis. See you at noon Eastern time, 5 p.m. London, live on the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Ooh.